This is Making Conversation, the Australian Composers podcast. This is the Australian Composers podcast. I'm David John Lang, and in this episode, I'm making conversation with Adelaide composer Rachel Breweville. We met in one of the allegedly soundproof practice rooms at the Elder Conservatorium of Music. And I asked Rachel if she could remember the first composition she ever wrote. I can. I can't sing it for you, unfortunately. I can't remember how it goes. But I know that the score is in my mum's filing cabinet in the music room. And it's some sort of little piano waltz that's probably about 16 bars, two hands, like bass line, melody, no chords. And it's called Roses. And that's all I remember. I can't sing it, unfortunately. <laughs> I reckon, actually, you've just made me think that I should use the melody and write another piece. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> How old would you have been when you wrote it? Uh, maybe eight, nine, under ten, yep. let's say. Hmm. Yeah, it was notated. I remember looking at it a few years ago and thinking, oh, that melody's structured quite well. <laughs> <laughs> My mum plays violin in the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra and teaches from home and stuff, so music was always, you know, a thing and an acceptable career path. And I have a twin sister, and when we were seven, we wanted to play instruments, and Chloe picked the violin, and luckily I picked the cello because mum was really scared that we'd both pick the violin and be, like, competing with each other at a Stedfords and, you know, all that. But <laughs> um, And we were also singing in Adelaide Girls' Choir from around that time. And, yeah, we also had piano lessons for a while, but we both thought it was boring, so stopped, which is probably unfortunate because it'd be great to play piano now properly. <laughs> but, yes, we would kind of compose things, make up little crappy tunes and stuff and then we both went to Marriottville High which is a special interest music school and we both did composition from year 8 to year 12 but then yeah I was thinking about being a cellist um, and doing the orchestral thing like mum and then I decided that I was too much of like a nervous performer and so I decided to go to uni and study science because I also liked science and in year 12 I did like all three sciences and I was also getting into some environmental activism at the time and so I kind of wanted to do environmental science, ecology, conservation-y stuff and yeah all the music teachers were like no no (laughs) become a musician and I said no I want to be a scientist and then at uni studying environmental science and then getting into some policy as well I realized that I didn't want to make that my career because I kind of I think I chose it because I felt obliged to in a weird sort of way in my own mind um so then like had a little bit of a crisis (laughs) went to um away from uni for a while and then eventually came back to music and somehow had a late realisation that 
if I was going to go to the con, I didn't actually have to become a cellist. I could go and do composition. So that's what I did. So when you were composing before you knew composing was a really a thing, when you were like <laughs> learning an instrument and, and composing at school, why were you composing then, do you think? I think just because it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good reason. And it's, yeah, it's still fun. <laughs> and I really liked arranging as well in school. Yeah, I still remember the jazz assignment. Was it year nine, maybe? Year ten? I forget. Anyway, I think it was every term we had to pick a song and then rearrange it into a different style. Yeah. And there was a jazz one. And I arranged the swan from Carnival of the Animals into this stupid like jazz tune and got my friend Jack to play clarinet and it was just so lame and hilarious and I got a really good mark though <laughs> it was just very stereotypical of the style because I think that's what they wanted anyway in high school <laughs> so is composing always fun generally yes <laughs> I think I mean yeah, there are moments of like, oh my God, what am I doing? Everything is terrible. But I think you just have to like stick at it and find something to do with those ideas that you think are terrible and then just make them not terrible. And <laughs> it might take a few years sitting on one idea to find out, you know, what you can actually do with it that you think sounds good. But yeah, I think that's a fun process. <laughs> generally. And now it's time to hear some music. Rachel Brewerville has written a set of duets for beginner string players entitled Anything But 4-4. And we're going to hear Rachel accompanying herself on the cello in a little study called River. It's actually named after a special assistance dog rather than the generic watercourse. What outside of music most inspires you or your work? Hmm. Um, I think my values, I guess. But yeah, as I said earlier, um, later high school, early uni, getting into the kind of environmental activism, realising how connected global issues are and social and environmental justice. And yeah, thinking about world events, I guess, and the values that those events reflect. But it doesn't all have to be, you know, deep and depressing. <laughs> so do you think your music is able to change people? 
I hope so. Well, not necessarily change people. Um, change how people think that is changing people, really. Yeah, just prompting people to think more critically about things, I guess, would be like the ideal situation. So how do you know when a piece is finished? Hmm. I don't know how to answer that, really. How do you know a piece is finished? <laughs> well, sometimes it's a deadline helps. Yeah, exactly. A deadline. That's what, how we know a piece has to be finished. If you have no deadline, maybe a piece will never finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to define that. Sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of our questions we're asking composers is, if I was to give you a blank check and say, this is for a commission, you can write whatever you want for however much you want without as much time as you need. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. I guess the question, the question is meant to be, what would you write? Mm. But you could also say, could you actually do that? Could you do it? I think so. Hmm. I'd write it for choir because I'm a choir nerd and I love choir and music with words is kind of becoming my thing and I guess I'd just take text and use up all the text in some creative way <laughs> and decide if bits of the text need repeating or not and then use my western ear and what I think sounds good to decide what works as a finished product. So is that the usual way you like to work? Like, start with a text or an idea and then have the music that comes afterwards inspired yeah. by that? Yeah, generally I'll start with text. The, um, the text informs structure, which is one thing I really like about working with text. And sometimes when I go to write instrumental music, I freak out a bit and don't know what to do. <laughs> I remember my first composition lesson here and we were talking about, you know, the creative process and how there is a theory about, like, how to approach the creative process, but, like, I still don't have a standard creative process. I don't think the creative process can ever be really standardised for one person. Yeah, that's probably part yeah. of what makes it the creative process, the fact that it's yes, creative. Yes, it's creative. <laughs> it's, different it's different every time, every time. and in different contexts. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know. As I said, I am not really a piano player. I know the theory of, you know, keyboard skills, basic things. But, yeah, cello is my main thing and I sing as well. So if I'm struggling with something, I usually go to playing it or singing it and multi-tracking things sometimes and seeing what works and what doesn't. And I do sometimes sit at a keyboard, but I'm very slow. <laughs> so it's sometimes not as helpful as just singing. So when you're composing, what is the kind of environment you like to be in? Somewhere uncluttered, I think. I'm just kind of hard in my house because I'm really bad at tidying. <laughs> And my desk is always cluttered. But yes, if my desk is cluttered, I'll go to the table outside, which is not cluttered. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also like sitting outside with manuscript and a pencil and singing to myself. I think that's really nice. Yeah, I, I don't like composing directly onto notation programs. I always have to write things by hand first. 
That was a short excerpt from A Bird Sings, sung by Pony Horseman, who also wrote the words. We heard Jacob Whitelock on guitar, Roshan Ibrahim on soprano sax, Frank Giles on viola, and the composer Rachel on cello. When setting someone else's text to music, how do you know when you've got it right? Talking about like what you think sounds good and having your ears trained in a certain culture and a certain way to then judge what is good is a really interesting thing and something that we as composers I think should be very critical of and careful about and we should be broadening our ears. Okay, tell me a bit more about how you broaden your ears then. Like, <laughs> what kinds of music do you listen to? What do you like? What do I like? Oh, I try and listen to everything, including things I hate, because <laughs> I think that broadens my ears. And it's interesting to listen to things that you don't like and kind of analyse why you might not like it. But sometimes you don't have an answer and you just don't like it. And sometimes you don't have an answer to why you like it. For example, I like listening to crappy 80s pop and I don't know why because (laughs) my music education tells me that it's so formula and it's so boring and these songs have three chords and like they're just about ridiculous things like why do I like dancing to it so much? This is one of those difficult dinner questions. If you could have a dinner party and invite whoever you wanted, composers, living or dead, composers. or musicians, hmm. um, to come around, who would you like to invite? Cool. Definitely Hildegard. That'd be awesome to talk to her. <laughs> um, Deborah Cheatham is one. She is living and Australian and um, wrote the first Aboriginal opera, she calls it, Peak in Summer. So I'd love to talk to her about her things. Um, I don't know. Do I have a limit on guests? No. no oh, no. <laughs> it's like not having a deadline. I don't know what to say. Okay, let's say two more. <laughs> two more. All right. Hildegard, Deborah. Uh, Alma Mala. What would you ask her? Did your husband force you to stop being a composer? <laughs> and why did you listen to him if he did? <laughs> um, and, okay, one more. Uh, William Barton. Oh, okay, yep. Why not? <laughs> I'd love to talk to him about his collaborations and potentially his own music and views on life, culture, Australia. Yeah, all that. What does it mean to you to be... An Australian composer, is that an important part of how you see yourself? Um, It's a very fraught thing, I think, as a white Australian, to think about being an Australian composer and having that as your identity when really you don't have a deep connection to the original culture that is here, um, that is still living, obviously, and is still important and there are still a lot of problems about relationships between white Australia and Indigenous Australia. We're living on stolen land. It's very difficult for me personally to say, this is Australian music because of that. My final essay for my 
music degree was about the issue of cultural appropriation and the use of Indigenous material in Australian composition. And I think there's been many, many mistakes made by non-Indigenous Australian composers, and I'm very aware of that. I think a way that some white Australians might think or definitely have thought in the past is like, okay, I'm an Australian composer. I need to use Aboriginal material in my music. I'm going to go to the Northern Territory, transcribe some songs, and then use it for my own purpose. And that's clearly completely horrible and inappropriate and just stealing again more and... Self-determination is a huge thing and something that has been taken away from Indigenous Australians. So as a white Australian composer, what do you feel you can do about that? I'm not sure. I think I'll spend my whole life trying to figure it out. (laughs) Well, for now, basically, I'm just trying to educate myself all the time. I took a course at the uni actually called... Indigenous People, Country and Protocols, and that was a really good introduction to all these things. Our lecturer, who is an Indigenous woman herself, uh, her mother was part of the Stolen Generation, and she acknowledges that her culture had been taken away from her, and she has a lifelong learning journey to go through, and she identifies herself. So, of course, we all have a lifelong educational journey to go through in order to understand and respect. And yes, composition is all related to all that life stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything connects, doesn't it? Yeah, so um, I am a tutor with the Indigenous Tutorial Assistance Scheme, or ITAS, and there are some students this year taking the foundation course at the Centre for Aboriginal Studies and Music, or CASM, And so I've met two CASM students so far this semester. And, yeah, the foundation course for them is they they have a subject called community and culture, which is specifically related to um, music making in an Aboriginal context, which is really interesting. I was reading their course guide this morning, actually, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this should be in the mainstream Bachelor of Music. This sounds amazing. Um, But yes, that's another rant for another time. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads to the next question, which is, what are you doing with yourself now? What am I doing? (laughs) Because you finished your your degree at the end of last year, right, 2015? Yeah, that's right. I have my piece of paper now. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was working a day job for the first six months of the year in administration as a receptionist, which was like pretty shit. (laughs) <laughs> to be honest. Um, anyway, yeah, because my husband is studying full-time this year as well. And at the end of July, I started a full-time professional musician contract woo, with Patch Theatre Company. And it's not specifically composing. I'm playing cello on stage in a play with actors <laughs> and also Belinda Gellert playing violin. She and Zoe Barry, who was the original cellist in the show wrote all the music. So that's really exciting that it's like original music by Adelaide people. So we started at the end of July and there's two and a half more weeks of 
that show um, and then there'll be a national tour next year as well which I'm doing which is awesome and it's just been the best work experience ever and met great people and hope to do more theatre in the future because it's really really great collaboration. And with that, our interview comes to an end. Both of us, by this stage, were looking forward to getting outside and escaping the claustrophobic confines of the practice room. Maybe you are too. You can always find out more about Rachel Brewerville by visiting her website, which is at www.rachelbrewerville.com. But for now, I decided to call it a day. That's great. I think, yeah, thank you very much for for answering my questions so thank you thoughtfully. for asking me to answer your questions I always love hearing what other composers have to say and yeah I think so many composers have so much in common and we don't often realise it because we don't always talk about mm. why we're doing what we're doing yes we're just writing on manuscript alone yeah in it, our houses yes <laughs> it can be very lonely but as you said a lot of the fun comes actually from working with people with choirs or like collaborating with the definitely theatre company or mm-hmm. yeah so it's great to hear that you're doing all that. Um, So thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) The Making Conversation podcast is brought to you by Making Waves. Making Waves is a free online listening resource bringing listeners the latest new music from Australian composers. We'd love for you to discover, listen, like, subscribe and share new Australian music. You can find us at makingwavesnewmusic.com. We'd like to thank all the people who made this season possible. This includes the supporters of our crowdfunding campaign, project patron Cameron Lamb of Camerclang, and Creative Partnerships Australia's Match Funding Program. The series production team is Leah Blankendahl, Stephanie Eslake, Sasha Kelly, David John Lang, Matthew Lorenzen, Rebecca Aaron-Smith, Chris Williams, Antonia Zapier, Daniel Thorpe, Thomas Green, Lisa Cheney and Peggy Polias, along with interns Angus Baxter, Malena Radice and Mark Wolfe. The podcast theme music was the work I Slash O by Australian composer Elia Simic Prozik. If you wish to learn more about the composer, music or interviewer featured in this episode, head to our website and click podcast to view the show notes. If you're enjoying these podcasts from Making Waves, there are a number of ways in which you can show your support. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or your favourite app. You might even like to leave a review. You can also share this episode and the series with your networks. Making Waves is a voluntary endeavour. If you're interested in volunteering or interning with us, we'd love to hear from you. We also encourage you to consider making a small one-off or continuing donation to support the ongoing promotion of new Australian music and composers. Visit makingwavesnewmusic.com forward slash support.